Welcome to Routine Jumper Radio. I am your host, Jalen Dixon, and I am just a guy with a mic that loves talking NBA basketball. And today, everybody, we have a ton of news going on with one man in particular on the brain. So we are going to get straight into it. Kyrie Irving, 48 hours after requesting a trade, is now a part of the Dallas Mavericks. Let me say that again for those who didn't understand me the first time. I know this news is still taking a little bit of time for everyone to process. Kyrie Irving is now playing next to Luka Doncic. These are two NBA All-Star starters, ironically from opposite conferences, who are now going to be playing in the exact same backcourt in what has already been an interesting Western conference to say the least. Now, first off, we got to talk about the package itself and what that means for both the Dallas Mavericks and for the Brooklyn Nets. So the reported trade offer that was taking place is Brooklyn sending Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2029 first round pick, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment, and second round picks in 2027 and 2029. Funny, that sounds like the Lakers picks, but only in the second round, of course, obviously, versus the Lakers picks being in the first round in 2027, 2029. We know that. We know that. We know that. But here's the thing, man. Let's start, let's start with the Dallas Mavericks and their aspect. First off, let's start at why would the Dallas Mavericks go as far as making this big of a swing on a guy in Kyrie Irving, who not all, not only obviously has his own, not only obviously has his own situation in terms of what takes place with him off the floor, but then also on top of that is a guy that could leave in free agency this offseason and is already in spurts shown, or I would say expressed the idea of being open to going to the the Los Angeles Lakers, who will have cap space this offseason, mind you, if they do not retain Russell Westbrook and will have even more money if they choose not to retain Rui Hachimura. Why would the Dallas Mavericks make a swing like this? Luka Doncic needs help. It's been proven. It has literally been proven on a season on a season-to-season basis, but particularly this season. When Luka Doncic does not play the Dallas Mavericks, Stink. They stink. There are games where Luka Doncic will drop 57 and Spencer Dinwiddie will have 14, 15 points and he's their second leading scorer. Christian Wood will have an immaculate secondary game, but because he does not, he's because of his ineffectiveness as a rim defender, he simply is just another guy helping them outscore teams, outshoot teams, despite the fact that this team last year was built off the strength of their defense, right or wrong. Alongside Luka Doncic playing out of his mind last year, one of the most surprising storylines in the NBA was the way that the Dallas Mavericks were able to step up defensively, not even just during the regular season where they finished the season as a top five defense, but even in the postseason, which was particularly shown in the series against the Phoenix Suns. 
This is a play the Dallas Mavericks pulled out in hopes to get more offensive firepower to take the ball out of Luka Doncic's hands, have another shot creator at a high level. And hilariously enough, the other thing that also sticks out is that now from a clutch statistics standpoint, you have two of, I think, the top seven guys in terms of clutch stats on your team now. I think Kyrie Irving literally leads the league in like clutch points, actually. The insanity about this trade is that the Dallas Mavericks are going all in with the intention of this season, meaning so much in terms of how they feel about not only their championship equity, but honestly, probably about how they feel about the ability to retain Luka Doncic. Now, I know that sounds crazy. Luka Doncic is, is obviously signed through till 2027. That's where the 2029 pick that I mentioned earlier comes in. That 2029 first round pick from the Dallas Mavericks is unprotected. Now, why does that matter? Why does that even why does that even mean anything? It's 2029. That kid is 12 years old right now. Who cares, right? Wrong. That pick is extremely valuable. Because Kyrie Irving, after being traded, can only be offered up to about a two-year extension from the team that he's traded to. In this case, it ended up being the Dallas Mavericks. And that's if he chooses to re-sign with the Dallas Mavericks this summer. But even if he chooses not to, that would only put him through 2025. Luka Doncic is currently signed to a five-year, I believe $215 million contract that ends in 2027. Let me name a couple of superstars for you, and you tell me what you think is genuinely, what, what they genuinely all have in common. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Anthony Davis. What's, what's the common key about all of these guys? They all position themselves to be moved in the prime portion of their contracts. Kawhi Leonard is a little bit different because he was an expiring contract. Similar to Kyrie Irving, he is actually a gamble and it ended up working in the favor of the Toronto Raptors. Maybe the, maybe the Dallas Mavericks view it similarly. Paul George had literally signed an extension the summer prior to being moved from OKC to the LA Clippers. Anthony Davis was wearing paraphernalia to get himself out of New Orleans while still having, I believe, one to two years left on his deal. What this means is that if things with Kyrie Irving do not work out, you have a disgruntled superstar in Luka Doncic who is going through his pre-agency period is what they call it now. What that means is that these first couple of seasons are the feel-out seasons before you start to really start making noise in the front office. Before you start heading upstairs and asking them, hey, 
Are we going to get some more help? Are we going to start putting more guys in our program to start moving forward, getting further in through the playoffs, making real pushes for championship equity? And when the answer is no, or when the moves indicate that there is no real forward path to reach that championship equity, superstar starts knocking on the door again and starts asking, so how long is it going to take you to get me out of here? And the scariest part about that is that Luka Doncic would easily easily be the most sought after available trade asset the NBA has ever seen. I know some people will say, hey, there was Kevin Durant literally this past summer. Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant is significantly seasoned in terms of his career and also has significant injury history. Luka Doncic, I will admit, is starting to slowly build up a little bit of a rap sheet. But the dude, outside of being completely insane at an early age, isn't even six seasons into his career. It's insanity. You throw on top of that, that this team now is in desperate need of more defensive help. Dorian Finney-Smith is probably one of the better, despite being underrated, three and D wings in the league that shoots about 36 to 39% from beyond the arc on at least four to five attempts a night while being able to switch the one through four with potential to play the five and switch on to fives if they're in a small ball lineup, obviously. And now you've taken that versatility on the defensive end away to maximize the offensive end. Now, that's obviously a double-edged sword because of the fact that Luka Doncic does need another player next to him in order to start creating offense to make this team more viable long-term. But again, I mentioned earlier, the identity of this team was built off the greatness of Luka Doncic paired with the defensive personnel of this Dallas Mavericks team, and now they have decided to go all-in on offense. I think the biggest thing to look forward to when it comes to the Dallas Mavericks this season is that they are going to be much more active at this trade deadline than I think we anticipated before. I think with Jay Crowder still floating out there, I think with the fact that there are a lot of teams that are still wishy-washy on certain expiring contracts, I think interesting players like Gary Harris for Orlando, for example, are interesting dudes that are floated out there as potential pickups for this Dallas Mavericks team. And I think with that being the case, we could probably see another move from the Dallas Mavericks because I don't think that that, 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 despite Kyrie Irving being the talent that he is, they have created, they've filled a hole and now created a new hole in their roster that must be filled if they plan on having real championship success. So I could see them making another move by the trade deadline on Thursday. Let's look at this from the Brooklyn Nets perspective, though. 
The Brooklyn Nets are currently in the top five in the Eastern Conference as of when we're recording this. And they are positioned in a way where when Kevin Durant comes back, they can still be a legitimate playoff slash championship contender. Ben Simmons has not been great, but he is improving from a game-to-game basis. Nicholas Claxton is having the best, best year of his career, along with the fact that he should have legitimate um, DPOY um, consideration, if not at least the all-defensive team this year. Kevin Durant, prior to his injury, was arguably, with his production offensively, arguably the best two-way player in the league this year, flying around defensively on the perimeter. I think him and Nicholas Claxton were like the only duo in the top five in blocks earlier on this season. Insane stuff from them defensively. Wild card and TJ Warren still, who could be huge come the postseason. Big time shooters and Seth Curry and Joe, Her- Joe Harris still. They still got a squad. They bring Spencer Dinwiddie back. He instantly can step back in and start where Kyrie Irving was. And he's familiar with Brooklyn. He is familiar with the circumstances of not only playing in Brooklyn, but the kind of brand of basketball that Brooklyn is a lot more known for in terms of together and sharing the ball. I think it's something that he can reinvigorate in this team. And Dorian Finney-Smith, as I mentioned beforehand, is arguably one of the most switchable wings in the NBA. This was a win-now move for the Brooklyn Nets, which is a hell of a gamble. It's a hell of a gamble because you're banking on Kevin Durant, seeing the circumstances that are in front of him, looking at the state of the team, understanding that, yeah, he's got to play next to guys like Edmund Sumner, like you mentioned before. In a, in a tweet, and I think it was actually in an interview, and come to grips with the idea that there is a potential chance that Kevin Durant might not be satisfied with the circumstances of the team. Now, again, I didn't even mention Yuta Watanabe, who's been one of the best three-point shooters in the league this year. The Nets are set up to be a very strong playoff contender. And when you have Kevin Durant, you're set up to be a championship contender. But I wonder, I wonder how good of an idea this was. And I mentioned that because of some of the other things that were on the table. Now, obviously, the Phoenix Suns were a team that was in conversation. Um, in particularly, their package involves sending Chris Paul who is 37 years old, Jay Crowder, and picks. I think that would have also been considered as a win-now move, but was a lot more volatility because Jay Crowder hasn't played at all this season. Chris Paul is playing well as of late, but has missed significant time due to the old man hips, um, as well as a heel injury. I believe that the Lakers were obviously the team that was in the forefront of all of this. This was the guaranteed team that he would go to, right? They offer Russell Westbrook, Austin Reeves, Max Christie, and Picks, right? That's that's the offer. And news came out that the, they, the LA Clippers came in and cock blocks. That's, that's the only way to phrase it, bro. 
The Lakers were in the forefront as the lead candidate to get Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving wanted to be a Laker. Hands down. And guess what? There were two agendas from two separate parties here. But they both ended up taking their anger out on the Lakers. Let me explain. The first is the Nets front office. That is li- that literally reports have indicated that they were not going to give Kyrie Irving what he wanted. You can call it petty. You can call it strategic. You can call it whatever you want to. But the Nets intention was we are going to get rid of this guy. We are going to get good now. Or we are going to at least try to maintain the championship aspirations that we have by acquiring talent that can produce now while obviously still acquiring some kind of valuable assets for the long term, hence the 2029 pick and the pick swaps down the line. And the most intriguing part about that is, the most interesting part about that from the Nets' perspective is that this has been on the table for so long this year. Dating back to this offseason when Kyrie Irving expressed that he was going to seek a suitor in free agency and then was forced to pick up his player option because of the fact that there were not any viable suitors. There were no viable suitors. Since then, it has been proven that the Nets were not looking to position themselves to retain Kyrie Irving. If you remember, that's part of the reason that Kevin Durant put in his trade request. The James Harden debacle took place. Couldn't keep James. Kyrie Irving was on the books as somebody that they were going to have to potentially re-sign later on. The Nets expressed that they were not enthusiastic about bringing Kyrie Irving back long-term. This was the Nets' agenda to put the final nail in the coffin on the Kyrie saga for their team. And I'm not going to lie, despite how petty it is, I'm proud of the Brooklyn Nets for this purpose and this purpose only. This is the first time in two years that I feel like the Brooklyn Nets truly took their circumstances to heart and acted upon it. The Kevin Durant circumstance was simply, he was untradeable. He was untradeable. When you look at the circumstances for Kevin Durant's talent, the way that he has played this season has further validated that when he's been on the floor and the overall trade packages we've seen over the, just the last year with guys like Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, DeJounte Murray. Kevin Durant was untradeable. That was the get out of jail free card was that Kevin Durant is the talent he is. So yeah, they stood pat. But they stood pat because there genuinely was nothing else better to do for Kevin Durant in terms of trading him. That's the truth. They really got to get out of jail free card when DeAndre Ayton ended up getting picked up by the Phoenix Suns when they matched that offer and when DeAndre was going to end up on the Indiana Pacers. So I wouldn't say that that was a circumstance where the Nets took their power in their own in their own hands and kept it for themselves and did what they thought was best. Their hand wasn't forced. Circumstances were put up where they're not going to give up Kevin Durant for what literally would have been pennies on the dollar if 
pennies were even available in comparison to what Kevin Durant provides for your team. In this scenario, they had options. The Clippers came in, and I'm going to get to them in a second. They're the second team with an agenda. The Clippers came in and offered Terrence Mann, who many thought was unavailable on the trade market, Luke Kennard, who has still been one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, along with future first-round picks slash slash pick swaps. This was the trade package that derailed the Lakers. Reports came out that the LA Clippers came in like thieves in the night and dropped this package on the Brooklyn Nets and the Nets asked the Lakers to up the ante. And the Lakers simply could not do it. So the Clippers derailed the Lakers by giving a trade package that was so astronomical in comparison to what the Lakers had available with Russell Westbrook's expiring contract, Austin Reeves, who doesn't really have very much upside and is looking like a THT 2.0 experiment for the Lakers, as well as Max Christie, who's an unproven commodity. And then on top of that, the Suns, I think that Chris Paul would help the Nets now. I think that Jay Crowder would help the Nets now. But I don't think if you're the Nets, you're willing to take that chance. Considering how vague of a circumstance you're getting with both of those guys. The situation is vague at best for both of them. You don't know what you're getting for either one of them. You, you know the theory. When you look at them on the surface, you know the theory of what Chris Paul is. You know the theory of what Jay Crowder provides. But you don't know. You don't know for certain with the way this season gone has gone. You know what Spencer Dinwiddie gives to you if you're Brooklyn. You've had him in your program. You know what Dorian Finney-Smith gives you. Reports say that Kevin Durant is high on a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith for the kind of skill set that he provides in the NBA. You also have seen him over the last two seasons, including last season in particular in the postseason, where he was taking on the most difficult defensive assignments on the perimeter. Those are two guys you know for sure. You also know for sure that 2029 pick is going to be damn good because I don't think that Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving are both going to be there by 2029. One of them might be. Luka Doncic is probably Luka Doncic has the most potential to still be there in 2029. But both of those guys ain't both of those guys are not gonna be there in 2029. That pick's looking real good. So the Nets and the Lakers are now um one of the funnier stories stories in the NBA because this is the second time the Lakers have been blue balled by the Nets. And I think it's hilarious because when you look at the circumstances of both of these teams, whether it's Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, the Nets have been that swing team with a superstar, with a disgruntled super, superstar, mind you, that the Lakers can come in, swoop in, send Russell Westbrook and some players over as players and picks over to and instantly juice their season 
you gotta remember the Nets have had three trade requests from three different All Stars in 13 months, bro. It's been less than a year and a half, and Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving have all requested trades. Two of them are gone. One domino is left to fall. And when it comes to Kevin Durant, that's where we transition actually to what that means for him. What does it mean for Kevin Durant moving forward in terms of this season? If Kevin Durant were to come available, there's news that says that the Phoenix Suns will be the first team to jump on it. By the NBA trade deadline, obviously, DeAndre Ayton is available to be traded, but he, of course, has to waive his no-trade clause in order to be able to be dealt. On top of that, when you look at the circumstances of the Phoenix Suns, they were the leading candidate for Kevin Durant, when he initially made his trade request. Is Kevin Durant going to be willing to force the Nets hand only days before the trade deadline? I do not know. I would also argue that I highly doubt it. I think that this team still has a real chance to make some noise in the postseason with Kevin Durant back healthy, Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, Nicholas Claxton playing out of his mind, TJ Warren, Ben Simmons simply just being asked to play defense. I think that this team still has a legitimate shot. The question is, does Kevin Durant believe that the Brooklyn Nets still have a legitimate shot? Unfortunately, nobody knows. Nobody can read the mind of Kevin Durant. But that is the big overlying question for not only him, but the Nets. The Nets have to gauge the temperature on Kevin heading into 3 p.m. on Thursday because their next moves are critical in terms of not only how they move forward this season, but how they move forward as a franchise moving forward considering the fact that they do not have control of their draft capital. So it'll be interesting to see what the Brooklyn Nets do. They took their first step to getting their franchise back by moving on from Kyrie Irving. We'll see what happens next with them in terms of what they decide to do with Kevin Durant. And honestly, quite frankly, like I said, what Kevin Durant decides to do um, in terms of sticking around on this team. I want to move over to... The NBA trade deadline, looking at it from a bird's eye view and taking into account what we've seen so far in terms of trades in the past, the few trades that have been made this season, and particularly what the Kyrie Irving trade means for the the trade deadline market. I think the most important thing that we can pull away from this NBA trade deadline market is that the assets are there, not simply off of off of speculation. If you look at the circumstances of teams across the league, the Toronto Raptors have four of the better assets on the market. 
OG Ananobi is due to be a free agent a summer from this year. Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. are both set to be unrestricted free agents this summer. Pascal Siakam is considered by most to be a, let's say, top 15, top 20 player in the league on a team that is starting to slowly work its way towards embracing the youth they have in guys like Scotty Barnes and Preston Sachua. Toronto Raptors have the assets. They are out there on the market as potential players that could be difference makers for championship uh, championship quality teams. You look at my Chicago Bulls. They have decided that they want to continue to go all in on winning basketball games. Being an effective playoff caliber team built around Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. They have expressed interest in trying to upgrade the the point guard position, which is probably the best thing we can do when considering that Lonzo Ball's injury situation has not progressed positively. But Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola, Nikola Vucevic, all guys that would go for a pretty penny for a team that was looking to reset if they chose to. I think when you look across the league, trades like this one with Kyrie Irving make teams feel more comfortable about what the trade market looks like now rather than what it looked like during the summer. During the summer, the prices were ridiculous. When Kevin Durant is at the forefront of trade discussions, Rudy Gobert is coming off of the Timberwolves sending their entire draft history, it feels like, to Utah in exchange for him. When DeJounte Murray garners the amount of pick swaps and first-round picks that were acquired by the San Antonio Spurs from Atlanta, the block was just too hot. The block was too hot this summer to be trying to make legitimate trades. This Kyrie Irving trade now rebalances the market because we all can agree Kyrie Irving is better than DeJounte Murray. Kyrie Irving is better than Rudy Gobert. I don't think Kyrie Irving, there's a debate as to whether or not Kyrie Irving is better than Donovan Mitchell. I think I would argue that he is better than Donovan Mitchell. So when you look at the circle, when you look, I, I want to stop saying circumstances, number one, because I've said it a lot during this podcast, but I also think that it's important when you look at the landscape of the NBA now, post Kyrie Irving trade, it feels like deals are just much more fair. It simply feels like deals are just much easier to be able to get into now because the market is balanced again the market is now back in balance and so i think we just went from potentially having one of the quieter nba trade deadlines to now having a trade deadline that is probably going to spiral out of control at the last minute. I think a lot of things are going to snowball 
into the final moments before the market closes. And the reality is that in a parody-filled NBA, things are about to get much, much more interesting. Let me repeat that. In a parody-filled NBA, where the Western Conference has teams between 4 and 12 being 2 to 3 games apart from one another. When the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers are calmly tailing the Boston Celtics who started off the year as the best team definitively in the NBA. In this league where parity is at an all-time high, the trade deadline is about to make things even more interesting because although things have been slow up to this point, I think the moving parts are officially in motion. I think they were a little rusty. I think they was cranking a little bit, but not really doing much. But I think now the gears are turning and things are about to get really, really interesting in terms of how this NBA shapes out. Because this is a year where I don't think that you can predict outright who's going to win the championship. In the past, we've had our confidences. We've had our beliefs about who stood out above the rest. But this year, this year might be the most confusing by far. The Sacramento Kings are a top five team in the Western Conference right now. And I was a big Sacramento Kings believer before the season started, but I couldn't have projected this. The Denver Nuggets have been in control of the Western Conference for quite some time now. Over the last couple of weeks, at least. Boston Celtics have been in the driver's seat for pretty much the entirety of the season in the Eastern Conference. It's a dogfight matchup-wise towards the middle portion of the East, and it's a dogfight in terms of the standings for the Western Conference. Guys, I am going to be doing a show on Wednesday at 10.30 Per usual, you can check me out every Monday and Wednesday at 10.30 a.m. here on the AMP Live Radio Show app, along with being able to, of course, check out the podcast later. But I think by Wednesday, we are going to have another big move happen. I legitimately feel that by Wednesday, maybe not by the time I record, but prior to the actual day of the deadline, I see another huge domino falling. And I think it's going to have another significant ripple effect on the landscape of the championship hierarchy in the NBA. The way that I believe that the acquisition of Kyrie Irving is going to have not only on the Dallas Mavericks, but on the Western Conference and the landscape of how matchups and things are now going to be considered when you put Luka and Kyrie next to each other. 
So I think that we should expect one more huge move by Wednesday afternoon. And there's definitely going to be a team that makes a play at the buzzer at 2.59 on Thursday that is also going to be something noteworthy. Just a hunch. Not saying, not saying I guarantee anything. I have no sources. Just a hunch. So with that being the case, stay tuned for the trade deadline, man. Stay tuned for the trade deadline because this is going to be insane, guys. This is going to be insane. To close out the podcast, I'm going to give some brief thoughts on some of the things going on across the NBA, including Stephen Curry going down with yet another injury that's going to have him down for a couple of weeks is what the report is, but nothing in terms of his long-term status has been officially reported as of recording this, but the injury could have him sat down for quite some time. Um, LeBron James is less than 40 points away from history. And he's probably going to get it. He's probably going to get it by the time that we next that we next speak. I have a weird feeling that he's going to go for the jugular and he is going to. I think he's going to end up breaking this record by no later than Wednesday. The Giannis led Milwaukee Bucks are 7-0 since the return of Chris Middleton. And although Chris Middleton has been primarily coming off the bench, this team just looks much, much better with him on the floor. And the Milwaukee Bucks are back to looking like one of the scariest teams in the Eastern Conference. Beforehand, they were definitely keeping above water, but I was a little bit worried about them. Giannis Antetokounmpo not shooting as well from the free throw line despite getting their career high like 13 times. Drew Holiday obviously just made the All-Star game. Brooke Lopez is slowly went from being one of the better defenders in the league to kind of coming back down to earth a little bit. I wouldn't say he's in the middle of the pack. He's still up there in terms of maybe top four, top five in the DPOY conversation, but he wasn't as he's not definitively locked in the position the way he was earlier in the season where I would have argued that he was number one for DPOY. The Bucks look scary again. And I like that. The Bucks look scary again. And I like that because that makes for a more interesting Eastern Conference. The Boston Celtics can continue to lose games I don't think they should lose, and that makes me worried because that makes me feel as though their youth is still kicking in. They recently lost to the Phoenix Suns off of letting Mikael Bridges go off. Mind you, this is still a Phoenix Suns team that is very much injured. They've lost to the Orlando Magic multiple times this year. I still have confidence in the Boston Celtics, but they are giving me cause to pause in terms of feeling great about them being the the lead team to come out of the Eastern Conference because it's the games you expect them to win that they make you sweat and they make you worry or they shoot, just end up losing. And so although they have been one of the more dominant teams in the NBA, they are a team worth keeping an eye on because they definitely compete well against the top teams in the league. But some of their lower competition are the ones they take for granted. And I think that's something from a youth perspective that could really end up hurting them in the long run, despite this team being as seasoned as they are. My final thoughts today on the Routine Jumper podcast are... 
the NBA is in the best state I think it's been in years. And this trade deadline, I think it's only going to be a footnote of how crazy this season is going to be. The Kyrie Irving trade has definitely set a tone. And I think that we are in store, bro. We are in store for an insane year. But with that being the case, guys, I'm going to call this, I'm going to call this to a close. This is the end of today's edition of the Routine Jumper Radio Podcast. Remember, you can catch me live here on the AMP Live Radio Show app every 10, every Monday and Wednesday at 10:30 a.m. If you missed the episodes, check them out later on the day. They usually go live Monday and Wednesdays at 2 p.m. I have officially fixed my issues to where we are live now on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. And anywhere else you stream podcast platforms. With that being the case, guys, the NBA, the NBA is on point right now. And I'm going to be here with a lot of hot content. So stay tuned. And until next time, 